0: Good morning, Um, we are continuing on in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2, towards the end of your Bible, after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We're going through Paul's prison letters, or prison epistles, and uh, it's Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, but today we're continuing on in Colossians, verse by verse, Colossians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 16 to 23, verses 16 to 23. And the title is Be on the Lookout. Be on the Lookout. And I'm just going to throw out the points in the beginning, just uh, so you have them, but we'll go back and continue to expound upon them. Number one, let no one judge you. Number two, let no one steal your reward. And number three, let no one enslave you. No one judge you, no one steal your reward, and no one enslave you. And much of the letter to the Colossians includes warning from Paul to the church and believers alike. Warnings are incredibly important, right? We just know that. We warn our kids not to touch a hot stove, hopefully. We warn them to look both ways before they cross the street. We, were, we are given warnings when we start a new job. Uh, when I did concrete, I was warned not to stand behind the concrete truck, you know, when it's backing up, obvious, right? But they still warn you. I was warned to be careful when driving a tractor, not to hit a house, because my boss had hit a house one time. I was warned to wear knee pads when finishing the concrete so I don't mess it up. Uh, Some warnings are obvious and some are not so obvious. I remember there was an electrical problem one time in my first job, Taco Bell, when I was 17. I unknowingly opened this panel because I was trying to figure out what this electrical problem was, and I just randomly pulled this lever. Smart, right? I pulled this lever. And I felt this powerful jolting, right, current of electricity go from my hand all the way up my arm to my shoulder, and it would just, it, it, it was horrible. It was a strange feeling, it was painful. Now, after I did that, I looked on the front of the box, and guess what it said? It was a warning. Don't touch this, you'll get electrocuted. I wish I paid attention. But but the hopes of warning people is to let them know the dangers of the dangers before it's too late, right? The Apostle Paul was a guy who a—he—he was, he was a warner. He warned people because he wanted to make sure the believers in the church were staying safe and not buying into false doctrine, false teaching, and unbiblical nonsense, right? And in this section, Paul continues to warn the church in Colossae of the dangers of a group called the Gnostics. Paul warned them to be on the lookout. And remember, the Gnostics were a group that thought they had, they had a one-up on everyone else, right? Because they were self-proclaimed spiritual elites. Like while the Christians were worshiping the one true God and staying in God's will and on God's mission, the Gnostics were over there acting like they had genuine truth and everyone else was deceived and that was wrong. The Gnostics were worldly and they were actually carnal and they had a works-based mindset when it came to the things of God. It wasn't about grace, it was about works. Paul was warning the true believers about this group who didn't see Jesus as the Savior. They saw Jesus as just one notch in the ladder of climbing your way to spiritual perfection. The Gnostics probably thought they were, to use the terminology of today, they probably thought they were woke. You heard that? <laughs> they probably thought they were woke, right? But they knew what was, they thought they knew what was up. They were spiritually on point. They were the people to come to, kind of like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, right? He re- rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders, more than anyone else, because they thought they were better than everyone else. But the thing, the thing was, they were spiritually stale. They were doctrinally off. They were spiritually asleep and not on a mission from God. They were, they were on a man-made, self-made mission that they themselves created. They were trying to enlighten the believers, but they were only spreading darkness and deceit. And that's why Paul warned these guys over and over again. And so let's pray, and then we'll uh, get into the verses this morning. Again, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, even in Psalms, it says you hold your word higher than your name. Why? Because everything that pertains to life and godliness, the blueprint for living, um, the way we are to live... Your heart really is contained in this love letter to your kids, and we thank you for that. We pray that you would speak to each one of us this morning. Thank you for, again, this opportunity to freely meet. In Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 16 and 17, number one, the first point is let no one judge you. Paul writes, so let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. So the Gnostic doctrines, they were a strange mixture of like Eastern mysticism, Jewish legalism, a hint of worldly philosophy with some Christian teaching thrown in. And the fact is much of humanity attaches itself to religious regulations like crazy. Like, see, when it comes to doing real spiritual things, the flesh is often weak. But when it comes to just doing outward regulations or actions, the flesh flares up and goes, Let's be strict and work harder for God so he will not be mad at us, right? Because adhering to strict religious rules and regulations makes the flesh feel good. We're very goal-oriented. We're merit-based society. But the problem is that it leads to self-righteousness. It's like, and the self-righteousness think they are a notch above everyone else because look what they're doing for God. Look, look what I'm doing for the Lord. They all, everyone see me. You, they may look at a person and go, oh, I'm definitely more spiritual than them. They don't even, you know, they don't even read their Bible. They don't even go to this meeting or this prayer. You know what I mean? Like, or that person keeps messing up. They should look for more, you know, they should look to me for spiritual growth. Or if they were religious like me, then they'd be stronger in the faith, you know? They may look a whole, they may look at whole churches or movements and they may think they are better than them. And in the 19th century, one preacher said this, the greatest enemies to human souls is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. And so those who act and even verbally say they are spiritually superior to others are often prejudiced against against whole groups. And I have amazing friends who go to many different churches and have way different philosophies of ministry than Calvary Chapel. And that's fine. Like, I'm not going to go, oh, I can't talk to you because you are different. You know? They're reaching people with the gospel, and it's a great thing. Like, I met a friend... This last week, who his church is totally different, philosophy minister, ministry totally different, yet he believes in the gospel. You know he believe, believes in Romans, you know 10, eight and nine. And so confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. and so he believes the gospel, but a bunch of other stuff is different. The non-essential stuff in the church is different. But we connected, and we talked about the Lord, we talked about life, we talked about church, and it was just good, it was refreshing. We have churches that are super different in a lot of ways. Um, but is that going to stop me from hanging out with him? Absolutely not. Now, if he's way doctrinally off and, doesn't, and has a skewed version of the gospel, then that's a different conversation. But the whole beauty of the body of Christ is that we are all different and unique, and God uses these unique attributes to reach different kinds of people. I have friends that are super like the whosoevers, like punk rockers, tattoos, you know, and Mohawks and everything, and they reach people that I cannot reach, (laughs) you know, because they, if you will, they externally look like them. I have Harley, you know, there's, there's whole Christian groups that are Harley Davidson, like they're like biker groups. They're not, they're like gangs for the Lord, but they're, but they're reaching other bikers. It's really cool. And so, Am I going to be self-righteous to go, ew, don't go to that church. Let me tell you all the things that I don't like about it. No. We spoke about the pandemic and what's going on, me and my my pastor friend, and how they're holding services, and we spoke about how God is working through it all, and I love that. Self-righteousness leads to a separation into us versus them perspective. Horrible outlook to have, and, and pretty cultish, you know? It's like a denomination or a religious movement saying, we are the only ones who are the genuine believers, everyone else, going to hell. You know, no thanks. Like Paul in Corinthians, he clearly writes that comparing is of the flesh, right? It's, it's, it's super gross, in other words. It's because, because by compa- uh, comparing, we're creating, again, an us versus them dichotomy. Now, the Gnostics, this is what they did. It wasn't just that they had a different philosophy of ministry. It was that they didn't see the essentials of the faith as essentials. In fact, they twisted the essentials and they skewed the gospel They first saw themselves as the best, and then they measured everything else based on how great they thought they were. And they attempted to be more spiritual than everyone else, which is bad, but they were also, and more dangerously, luring people away from true biblical faith. So Paul presented three important truths about this. He talked about the basis of our freedom. So Paul already had been writing about this, that the basis of our freedom is the person and work of Christ. In verse sixteen, Jesus denying or Jesus dying on the cross led to the new covenant, which so we're no longer under the law, we're under love. We're no longer under strict rules, we are under grace. So the Gentile Christians in Colossae they were getting swayed under the law, which they were not Jews, so they had never been under Jewish legalism. But again the flesh wants to get under the law so as to have a measuring rod of perfection. But the only perfection in existence is in heaven, not here on earth. You know, Paul wrote the letter to the Galatians because they were Gentiles who were falling into Jewish legalism, and they had hardened their hearts. The law hardens hearts. The love of Christ softens hearts. The Christians who begin inheriting to the Old Testament law is basically saying Jesus' death wasn't enough to set us free. That's, that's great that he died and rose, but also you've got to do this, this, and this, and this, and don't mess up. And so I've known a few people who were actually under grace, walking strong with the Lord, and they began preaching law and getting into heavy legalism. And I'm pretty sure all the few that I knew, and my pastor back back on the West Coast, he, he knew some he went to Bible college with too that got into the law. And they're all atheists now. They're even preaching against what the Bible says. Because they set biblical standards, and they made everyone else fall under that. And no one could keep those perfect standards, so many fell away themselves, many, many of those preaching the law. They didn't receive God's grace, and so they didn't have grace on themselves. And so that's the thing, deeper spiritual understanding is what the Gnostics taught. And it sounds good, right? But they were saying the deeper you traverse into regulations, the closer you get to God. It's not about the law, it's about relationship. And Paul talks in 16 also about the, the bondage of legalism. Peter called the Jewish legalism... Yoke upon the neck in Acts 15.10. Galatians 5.1, Paul said to stand free in Christ and don't get entangled in the yoke of bondage. So under the Old Testament law, certain foods were classified as clean and unclean, right? And under the New Covenant, Jesus made it clear that food was neutral. It was what came out of the heart that made a person spiritual not or not spiritual, Matthew 15. Certain foods do not bring us closer to God. The legal system involved diet. It also involved days. Old Testament law required us uh, to keep the Sabbath. But the religious Jews had their feast days tied to the calendar. So, In the old dispensation, all of this had its function, but it was not meant to be a permanent part of their faith under the new dispensation. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so the law was a schoolmaster sent to train the Israelites in discipline as a nation and preparing them for the coming Messiah. Now that Jesus had come, the schoolmaster was no longer needed to perform the same function. And this does not mean that the Old Testament law doesn't have any use for New Testament believers. The law is good if one uses it properly, 1 Timothy 1.8. The law reveals sins and consequences of sins yet has no power to redeem the sinner. Only grace can redeem the sinner. And in verse 17, we see the blessing of grace. The law was a shadow. Christ was the substance. Why go back into the shadows when you have reality? It's like people love to do outward religious things because it makes them feel good. But if a person is only concerned with the outward, their hearts may be empty. And we know it's, it's all about the heart. People love to do outward religious practices, but their hearts are not even bent towards the Lord. And it's all about them doing things rather than focusing on what God has done. And so let no one judge you. And then number two, let no one steal your reward. In verse 18 and 19, Paul goes on and he writes, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, Grows with the increase that is from God. So God actually promises uh, rewards to those who are faithful. The Gnostics were way off biblically, and they complicated what should have been simple. You ever do that? Something so simple, and all of a sudden you overthink it, and all of a sudden it's overcomplicated, and all of a sudden what should be a nice settled time is a stressful time. That's what they did. They took what was simple, and they complicated it. We serve the Lord, we live our lives unto Him, so we get to be proactive in the faith. And the result is God blesses us with rewards. But the Gnostics complicated and convoluted that all. And so here was a few major problems. So the false teachers in Colossae bypassed the Word of God and the Holy Spirit and attempted to have spiritual experiences. They apparently made contact with angels, but bypassing God's Word and the Holy Spirit opens up a life to all kinds of evil, demonic activity. Satan knows how to give counterfeit spiritual experiences to those who bypass the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And the word intruding was used in this day to speak of mystical religions. It meant to set foot in the inner shrine to be fully initiated into the mysteries of the religion. No Christian has to go through a religious ceremony to be saved. We we may come boldly to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4.16. The Gnostics exercised also false humility. What's false humility? Well, in the context, false humility humility is caring too much of what others think and putting on somewhat of a show. This means not wanting correction or feedback, but just wanting to evoke certain spiritual perception. But really what the Gnostics were doing, their hearts really were prideful because they claimed to have the key to real connection with the spirits and God. The Gnostics, they would not go to God, but they go to angels. You know, and that's the thing, trying to reach God through anything else besides Jesus is idolatry. We, we don't ever worship angels, nor do we worship dead saints who have been elevated. The fact is that true worship humbles a person, and their heart is filled with the love of God, and their will is submitted to the purpose God has for their life. The Gnostics claim to have inner secrets, right, which gave them a big head rather than a passionate heart. And 1 Corinthians 8.1, it says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So that hurts people who are bent on proving they're right and everyone else is wrong. But the truth is that everyone is wrong without God, and God is the only one who is right. It's, an amazing, it's amazing to think about that. That's the thing, true spiritual experience leads to submission and service. The Christian that doesn't find nourishment in the scriptures and seeking God is weak and feeble and ready to waver, can fall away any and backslide any second. So so the Gnostics thought they were experts, but they weren't even saved. The Gnostics' goal was to insert their unbiblical doctrine into the local church, which would cause drama and division and lies. And who wants to go into a church that has more drama than in the world, or has much drama in the world? No one. There's a fascination, though, with religious mysticism that actually really attracts people, And learning so-called inner secrets and having contact with the spirit world, that's Satan's realm. God of this world, small g, God of this world, the Bible says. These practices are condemned by God. And so the true believer glories in Christ, not in their own experiences. Those who have no joy probably don't have a relationship with Jesus. You know, one one pastor I know, he's like, if you don't have any joy... You know, you're probably doing the Christian life wrong. (laughs) Because it's like, we should, right? We should be, like, joyful because we have everything that pertains to life and godliness. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that believers are supposed to be uptight, dreary, and stoic. If you have no joy, you may not have Jesus. It's not our calling to kill other people's joy. My calling is to bring them down. I'm going to humble. My job is to humble them. No. (laughs) Um, It's important to realize, though, that God gives us everything we need. Oftentimes people answer questions that you never asked, you know, because maybe they have their own agenda, and it's totally anti-unbiblical, and so that's the time where we go, well, actually, the Bible says this, you know, because this is our measuring rod, right? Like the Gnostics, and we measure everything. It's a litmus test. We measure everything by what the Word of God says, not opinion, not philosophy, not politics, what the Word of God says, and then we take the Word into into all those realms, though. Philosophy, politics, just philosophy, everything else, you know, but we start with the word of God, because it's a blueprint for Christian living. Um, so these Gnostics, you know, whose names, who, the word Gnostic, the title Gnostic means knowing, but they didn't know the truth, so they didn't really know anything of value. You know, Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. They led others astray, and these were Gnostics, and, and this is why Paul wrote to be on the lookout, Beware. Beware, believer. So let no one judge you, number one. Number two, let no one steal your reward. And number three, let no one enslave you. And for that, Paul writes in verse 20, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And verse 23, sorry, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So let no one enslave you. So Paul was warning of legalism and mysticism, and now he would warn against asceticism. Asceticism was characterized by self denial and self mortification, which was thought to lead to someone being more spiritual. This idea was super popular in the Middle Ages. These guys would force themselves not to sleep for days. They'd sleep on hard beds purposely. They would not talk for months, or so some of them wouldn't talk for years. Many other things that I can't mention right now, because there's kids in here that are graphic, but what they did was they, they made themselves suffer. You know, They did stuff to themselves physically that made them suffer, because they're like, you know what, I'm a sinner, I need to suffer. I need to make myself suffer. Doesn't sound fun, right? The ascetics life was totally wrapped up in rules. So this lifestyle was, it did tie into Jewish legal, legalism a bit. But the ascetics hoped to sanctify the soul by disciplining the body severely. And so Paul gave a few warnings against the Christians getting into religious asceticism. Paul wrote the Christian spiritual, he wrote about the Christian spiritual position in verse 20. Asceticism, asceticism has to do with the things of the world, not with the things of the kingdom. And so these guys would think they had to afflict themselves and be miserable because they were such sinners. They didn't, they didn't acknowledge that they were sinners uh, who were saved by grace. They acknowledged they were sinners, but they stopped right there, and that's dangerous. I'm just a sinner. I'm horrible. I'm going to condemn myself. Well, Romans 8-1 tells us there's no condemnation in Christ, right? And so they acknowledged they are sinners, but they didn't acknowledge, hey, they're, but they're saved by grace. There's a step further than that. The second part is very important. So they place themselves under burdens and regulations. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Paul wrote about the futility of ascetic rules in verse 20 and 21. These rules came from men and not from God. The quickest way to mess up the truth is to let people insert their opinion and ways into what should be truth and fact. And so, like, I know God's word says this, but... If someone says this to you, I'd stop them and just say, just don't say anything else. <laughs> like, I, I know what God's Word says. That's, you're right, totally, but don't say but. Don't try to, because maybe there will be a justification to something that they're doing. Or, but stop them before they say what they're going to say, because it's like when someone says, I know I probably shouldn't say this, but you should probably stop them right there, because they know they shouldn't say it, so you should say, okay, then stop right there. Think about it. Pray about it. Slow to speak, quick to Listen. But the super religious think they're more spiritual because they add so many regulations to God's word, and the joy just dissipates. I think God's going to judge the churches, says in Corinthians. So I'm not judging a church, but have you ever, have you ever been an experience where you went to church and it was just like dreary and dark and like, is anyone happy here? Like, I don't, I'm the only one smiling. I better stop. Like, you know, it's, it's, it shouldn't be like that. Walking with the Lord is a joy. It shouldn't be a burden. It's a blessing. And again, it's not about the outward. The ascetics were all about the outward. Paul wrote about the deception of asceticism. Ascetics may have a reputation for spirituality, but they were not close to God. It was all outward. The product didn't live up to the promotion, if you will. It's like, yeah, they had discipline, but it wasn't motivated by the spiritual. It was motivated by trying to be better than everyone else. It was fleshly, it was carnal. The Stoics and their ascetic philosophy, they were well known in Paul's day. And they were attempting to live up to the Gnostics' way of life. That's what the Stoics are trying to do. The answer to legalism is the spiritual reality we have in Christ. The answer to mysticism is spiritual union with Christ. The answer to asceticism is our position in Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. The whole point of these two chapters is Jesus is preeminent. Is he the head of your life? Is he leading your life? Are you putting him first? Is he enough for you? This is Paul's argument. And he's going to get into verse three, or chapter 3 next week, where he talks about focusing on things above. But Paul's saying here, beware of those who look spiritual, talk spiritual, and act spiritual, but they're adding it to God's word in order to look, talk, and act more spiritual than everyone else. Beware of them. The one way in which we follow is not man-made. The one way in which we follow is Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the one mediator between God and man. Stick to his word so you know the genuine, the authentic, and so you can live in reality, and so you can have joy and not be burdened. We're not called to add to his word or take away from his word. Revelation has something serious to say about that. Don't do that. Paul has something to say about that. In Galatians, you add or take away to the word of God, that is not going to end well. We were to take him as his, at his word because he literally is, God is a know-it-all in the best sense. He knows everything. And so we look to the word to get to know his heart, to get to know the right way to live, and to be able to beware and be on the lookout. Not to be all paranoid, like as believers, we're not supposed to walk around and be all. Paranoid. What'd you say? We're not supposed to be all crazy and paranoid all the time. But just get into the truth, the genuine, so that when lies come, you can identify them, discern, and be like, I, "I'm not going to give into that. I'm not going to believe that God's word. That's against God's word. I'm, we're not going to try to justify that. We're going to always go with God's word because He always knows what He's talking about." Amen.